welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Esther Reaney. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the Cambodian genocide. Hi friends and welcome to episode four of season two of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. This season I go through different genocides that have happened, different infamous genocides that have happened kind of over the last hundred years. This week I will be speaking about the Cambodian genocide, which a few of you or many of you may have heard of before. Um, I hope everyone is well. It is freezing in Berlin at the moment. It's minus 11. It was minus 11 when I rode to work this morning and then it snowed all day and um, yeah the beast from the east has hit. It is really cold. I can't say that I'm enjoying it. I know a lot of a lot of people love snow but I have the knees of a grandma and it's not that fun if you feel like you're going to slip over all the time and also you never know I feel like every time I put my foot down, I don't know if I'm going to step in something, which is gross. Um, So yeah, I feel like winter is like properly, properly hit this week. But hopefully it only sticks around for a week or so and then we will come out the other side of it and closer to spring, which I'm really excited about. Um, So yeah, I did just want to touch on before I get started with this week's episode that you may have seen in the news that there has been a coup in Myanmar and that is actually a genocide that I'm going to cover in a few episodes time but I did just want to point it out that I have taken note of it and that um, currently there's a lot of stuff going on there Um another coup already it's the it's the second week of February oh well this one was actually successful the one in the US was not um but I will be covering what's going on in um what's going on there I just wanted to point out that I haven't like overlooked uh what's happening it's just that I have an order for for um genocides that I want to cover I'm being a maybe a bit anal about it that I want to do I want to try and do it like chronologically but anyway take a note we'll speak about it in a few weeks time um but yeah if you want to you can just keep up to date with the news and just have a little read about um the coup that's happened and um why everybody is quite concerned about that happening so with that being said let's crack on with this week's episode Okay, so here we go. Is everybody ready? I'm going to talk about the Cambodian genocide. So I will just put it out there that when I learned about this genocide at university, it was one of the ones that took me a while to get my head round because obviously being really familiar with how the Holocaust happened and we'd learn about, I think, a couple of other genocide that, genocides that had occurred before this. But this was the one that really got me because it seemed like the government was perpetrating something that just, I don't know, it just seemed like it would was never going to work. But anyway, I, um, and it didn't <laughs> quite clearly, but I, 
I will explain more like as we go along, like why I found it like a bit a, a bit strange. Um, so we're going back to 1975. So between the years of 1975 to 79 to Cambodia, which is a country in Southeast East Asia for people who don't know. And in 1975, Cambodia had a population of approximately 7 million people, a lot of whom were Buddhist. And the Cambodian genocide refers to the attempt of the Khmer Rouge which was the name given to the members of the Communist Party of Kampucha, or the CPK, led by Pol Pot, who you may have heard of that person's name before. Um, so that was the ruling party between 1975 and 79. Now, the history is way more detailed than I'm going to explain here, but I don't have a million hours to do like a political <laughs> podcast but in short the political turmoil in Cambodia started during the French decolonization of Southeast Asia and Cambodia gained independence from France in 1953. Cambodia was then when it gained its independence ruled by Prince Sihanouk you have to forgive me if I mispronounce oh and there was a military coup in 1970 and soon after that, a civil war broke out and the Khmer Rouge, then a communist guerrilla organisation, managed to overthrow the Khmer Republic in 1975. And by winning this civil war, they captured the Cambodian capital. And it was then, basically immediately, that the genocide, the Cambodian genocide began, which resulted in the deaths of almost a quarter of the Cambodian population. So as, as I said, at the time, it was around 7 million um, people in the entire country. And it's estimated between 1.5 and 2 million people were killed under this regime. Why? Because of the ideology of the Khmer Rouge. So another running theme when we when we're looking at genocide is the ideologies of the ruling parties so this particular ideology the Khmer Rouge wanted to turn the country into a socialist agrarian republic free from any foreign influence what does agrarian means it means that they wanted the country's economy to be based on on producing and maintaining crops and farmland and a lot of their policies were based on ultra maoism where the peasantry rise up politically against the higher classes and become the ruling class like they are in charge basically so how did they try to achieve this well the leader of the Khmer Rouge was Pol Pot as I said earlier and he wanted to create a new Cambodia one where a, the country would be taken back to what was termed year zero where western ideals would be destroyed and all, cit all citizens would participate in building a rural Cambodia one that was focused on working the land and this is why I find this genocide it kind of sticks out to me because that kind of re reversal, like like de-urbanizing, I guess, and taking everybody like out of any of the advancements that may have been made and like back to just um, like being farmers and working the land is, I don't know, it just stuck out to me as like quite confusing, like why why you would want to do that but it really is based on the ide ideology that 
the land was really important and the people were there to work the land and this is what was going to make Cambodia prosper ultimately. So in order to achieve this ideal, the Khmer Rouge believed that all Cambodians should become farmers and anyone who opposed this should be eliminated. So what happened was that quite literally overnight, Cambodians from across the country didn't matter who you were, where you were from or what you did. So imagine this, you live in London, you work in a bank or something or you're a teacher and one morning you wake up and you're quite like you're just told under the threat of death to leave your home, leave everything behind and relocate to a collective farm or labour camp in the countryside to begin working the land. And anybody who refused to do this was killed on the spot. Anyone who couldn't do this, say if you were disabled or really old, was also killed. And if you openly opposed the regime, you would also be murdered. They didn't want any opposition to this. They gave people no choice whatsoever. Anybody who was fit and able was to leave immediately and go to the countryside. So, of course, alongside this... They also classify people on due to their religious or ethnic backgrounds and practiced state atheism. So anybody who was seen to be practicing a religion would be specifically targeted by the state. Citizens were completely stripped of their civil and political rights. Schools, hospitals, factories, private institutions, they were all shut down. Religion was banned. As I said, they wanted to practice atheism. Religious leaders were murders. Temples and churches were destroyed. People were killed for speaking foreign languages if you were an intellectual a business owner buddhist muslim christian if you were well educated a professional of any kind or if you had any vietnamese thai or chinese ancestry this could all be means for you to be killed and i know that's a really long list of things but they were going after a pure cambodia and they didn't want any any Western influences, any religious influences. They didn't want the influences of being, um, even just having an education. Like they would, they would dis- basically destroying all of that culture in order to build a purely like farmers peasant culture in the cu- countryside. So even if you were a member of the Khmer Rouge. You could also be killed on suspicion of not actually being that loyal to the party. So it's almost as if nobody was safe. Even like your affiliation to the party didn't mean anything if you were suspected of potentially being able to go against the regime. So after people were forced out of cities and villages and into the countryside, countryside on forced marches they would then become an unpaid worker and they would be forced to live in these communes and these communes were like army barracks. However, the conditions of these meant that disease was rampant, there was food shortages, um, people were often starving, they would be subject to really, really brutal treatment from the guards of these communes and many people often became too weak or sick to work at which point they would be killed just as an expense to the system like they didn't want to 
there there was no interested interest in keeping people alive and nursing them back to the health if you couldn't work you were of no use to them or the system or the regime or the camp to Cambodia basically in what they were trying to build they also would conscript children usually in their early teens in order to have them commit mass murder by teaching them to follow any orders that they were given without hesitating now I'm going to place a trigger warning here because I'm going to talk a bit about the torture and the medical experiments that were perpetrated by the regime so I just wanted to warn people because this isn't my it isn't the easiest thing to talk about and I understand it can also not be the easiest thing to listen to I'm not going to go into gruesome gruesome detail but anyway here's the option to like skip forward a bit if you don't want to hear it but so when people were um so when all of this was going on people were often taken prisoner and subject to torture and experiments like medical experiments purely based on the suspicion that they opposed the regime or because or because other prisoners had given their names as opposers to the regime when they were being tortured and if you were suspected of a political crime which often included and this is this is the wild thing it would often include pre-regime activities like having contacts with foreigners before the Khmer Rouge came into power or participating or something like participating in the free market so if you'd if you'd done something like that before the Khmer Rouge came into power then you could receive a warning from the government and if you received two or morning two or more warnings like this from the government you would then be sent for re-education and this re-education wasn't a re-education at all it was often a death sentence for you and your family and this is because it was common that if one family member had been detained and taken as as under suspicion that they might be going against the regime they would then detain the entire family and take them prisoner prisoner to to avoid any attempt at revenge against them and this would include the children because they had this paranoia that children would then grow up and what they would do is want to avenge their families and therefore they could be a potential threat to the ruling party if they you know if if they did rise up and cause their own revolution or whatever you might whatever the extreme might be to overthrow the power um and the belief was that as the regime never made a mistake if people were detained it meant that they had to have done something regardless of whether this was true or not so here's where it gets a bit not very nice people were often detained and tortured for information that they just didn't have and the torture would be so awful that many prisoners would try to commit suicide guards would often go to the extremes of extreme violence because they feared that if they could be perceived as treating people well then they themselves could be detained by the state and subject to the same kind of torture so when prisoners were understood as not being able to provide any more information after being tortured whatever information they got out of them when they when it was perceived that they couldn't give any more they would be taken out to what was known as the killing fields which were mass graves and it was there that they would be 
killed with basically anything other than bullets because bullets were too expensive. So they could be poisoned. They would use bayonets, spades, knives, clubs, um, sharpened bamboo, farming tools, and the like, stuff like that. Anything that could be used to kill someone other than using bullets. And there is evidence of this from the injuries that have been found on the skulls in these mass graves of um, when when they were uh, uncovered, like post-genocide. And babies and small children, as I said, entire families would be detained and taken prisoner and murdered. And babies and small children would regularly be killed by having their heads hit against tree trunks. Um, and often the prisoners would be forced to dig their own graves and to kind of quiet the cries of the people whilst they were being murdered, they would drown out this noise with generators that would be playing propaganda music from the state. So that is the killing fields. Um, the Khmer Rouge were also known for using people that they had taken prisoner for medical experiments. And I'm really not going to go into this with detail. Honestly, I find it so repulsive and whilst I was researching for this episode I've had to um, read through some stuff obviously like to refresh my memory and so that I can if you guys have any questions and stuff about it I can answer it but I'm just going to say if you have a strong stomach then go for it look up um, the medical experiments that the, the state did but I can tell you the reason why it was done so basically the state had already killed people who had the medical training or ex expertise needed to look after people. So they had killed like intellectuals, doctors. They had actually burnt the medical library. So they didn't have any access to basically anything to teach them about how to do medicine. So and they weren't going to take any help from the outside as I said they didn't want any influences coming in from the outside so what did they do they enlisted people to basically figure this out so to become to become self-sufficient health-wise in the country they would just enlist people and have them conduct experiment experiments with the hopes of gaining the knowledge that they would need to be able to look after people health-wise and because they opposed any western influences this also meant that anesthetic would not be used and it basically was just a free-for-all for trying to figure out different things such as how does the body heal a wound what happens if we inject someone someone with this substance um honestly it's just if you read through some of the stuff it's it's just barbaric and i mean as you can imagine if you're if you have no training at all and then you're just told to figure it out you can only imagine what what people were trying to do and this went on so all of this just went on for years until in 1979 the Khmer Rouge is actually overthrown by the Vietnamese and the Vietnamese remain in Cam Cambodia until 1989 again I'm not going to go into all the conflict that was happening there at the time because it's it would be a whole different podcast, but actually just focusing on, on the genocide, 
this is the basics of what happened. And after this, the Vietnamese stay in Cambodia until 1989, in which time, so over this like 10 year period, there are continued military conflicts. And a a peace agreement was actually finally reached in 1991. So if we think about when the Khmer Rouge actually came into power in 1975, it's not until 1991 that a peace agreement is finally reached and Cambodia hold the first democratic elections in 1993 so almost 20 years after this happened um 20 years after the Khmer Rouge come into power they have their first democratic elections and it's it's in the early 90s that the horror of the genocide was like fully uncovered with killing fields and prisons being found across Cambodia. Now, once again, it's very complicated, but basically following the genocide, the Khmer Rouge still existed and still held territory in Cambodia. Pol Pot himself, so even when the Vietnamese took over, Pol Pot moved around a lot and it wasn't until 1997 that he was actually apprehended and placed under house arrest and was eventually sentenced to life imprisonment, not by anyone else, but actually by his own party. So it all got so crazy and complicated and they were placed for power and all this stuff and people like infighting within the party, but also people being seen as too extreme a lot of paranoia um yeah so this eventually resulted in him being sentenced to life imprisonment Pol Pot actually denied as the leader of the Khmer Rouge actually denied that he'd ever ordered or perpetrated a genocide against the population of Cambodia and he gave a final interview before he died stating that he ought not to be vilified as everything he did he did for the country so he really just believed that the the ideology that he wanted to go for to make Cambodia this great nation take them back to year zero and make them uh, a country of farmers and and people who work the land he really believed he was doing that for the greater good however um even though he was never brought before a court he was tried and convicted in absentia of the crime of genocide and Pol Pot actually died in 1998 of natural causes so he didn't actually pay for the crimes that he inflicted on the Cambodian people now the trials of the former Khmer Rouge leaders and perpetrators of this genocide went on well into the late 2010s and in 2013 legislation was passed in Cambodia that prohibits the denial of genocide and war crimes committed by the Khmer Rouge so if we think from the beginning of this happening in 1975 right up until when perpetrators are tried and convicted and it's and you know it's recognized that that a genocide happened and you you therefore cannot deny that it's a span of 30 years so you can only think of the wait not 30 years if it's 1975 up until like 2015 40 years so 40 years after the beginning of all of this they're still going through it in Cambodia trying to reconcile with what actually happened and for people to get the recognition that a genocide has 
has even occurred and to outlaw that you you know you can't deny it that's it's a it's fact that a genocide was perpetrated by the Khmer Rouge so that in short is a summary of the genocide that happened there and for this week I've got a call to action that is a website and it's from TPO Cambodia which is a mental health organization and on their website you can read testimony of survivors of this genocide and really just understand in more detail what happened and what what it was like for people and what they went through and I really would urge you to go and read it because I think testimony is really important and as my episodes are quite short I don't go into explicit detail about what happened individually to people I mean we can get an overview we know that genocide is bad we know it's going to be violent we know that people are going to suffer but I think it is important to really understand what people experienced and and also what the repercussions are for that and how they rebuild again after something like this happens to them, especially when the country like Cambodia was in turmoil for years after the the, the for years after the genocide actually occurred. So I would urge you to go and have a look at that. It's TPO Cambodia. I will put a link in um, the description for that. And you can, I'll put the link that actually links straight to that page, but it's as it's a mental health organization, it's not purely just um, survivor testimony. There is other things on that website, but I will make sure I put the link like straight to that page. So yeah, I would also encourage you to make donations to charities and NGO organizations that help with these psychological effects to help provide survivors with the care that they need I think it's something that we can all relate to in terms of you know a lot of people experience mental health issues just in what we would call like a normal everyday environment let alone if you've been through such suffering and you know the just because the genocide ends doesn't mean that everybody's safe and and feels safe and fine and just goes back to um their their life it's an incredibly traumatic experience and these ngos that do work to help people that have experienced such trauma do need support from people like us who can give i don't know a couple of quid and then they can they can take that and really help affect some change in somebody's life and give them the psychological help that they need and that you would need after experiencing something like that so yeah that's that's everything for this week I don't have a recommended reading there are um there are a couple of films I think might even be on Netflix um that you could watch if you felt to first first they took my father I think that's also a book that has been made into a film that's a testimony of a young girl um, about her experience in the Cambodian genocide and also the killing fields which follows I think it's Australian and I can't remember where the other reporter is from but they were in Cambodia at the time kind of reporting on the atrocities that were happening so those are two films that you might want to look up and first they took my father is I'm pretty sure is also a book if you did want to read something and 
Yep, I think that's everything for this week. So as ever, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about it if you think they would be interested in learning a bit more about this kind of stuff. Um, Don't think I've got anything more. As ever, if you've got any questions about this episode or any of the previous ones or stuff you're curious about or you want pointing in the right direction for something dm me on instagram at without the footnotes or just pop me an email info at withoutthefootnotes.org and i will get straight back to you and help you with whatever you need so yeah that's all for this week and i will catch you in a week's time ciao